There's one thing that we can apply in our lives right here, right now, that can eliminate division personally and corporately. So whether you're dealing with it in a personal relationship or in your own church is humility. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to be discovering on today's passage. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Blessed be with you guys as always as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where we're going to be talking about the need to be humble. Now, this is going to be part two of what we were just talking about in last podcast, in podcast 227, where we began verse 6 all the way to verse 13, and we were using Paul as an example of how he was dealing with uh, the division that the church was going through. Remember, they tried to put Paul in Apollos against one another, but Paul transferred the entire matter of what he was doing in ministry to that of Apollos and how they both collectively, not competitively, but as companions, they were not trying to advance exaggerated opinions. They were not trying to gratify their own platform. They were not trying to form party groups, right? That was undermining the Christian faith. And that was so important because that's what causes a lot of division is when you do fall prey to people who think they're above, okay, answering to the Lord. And so what Paul started to do in verses 9 through 13 is he uses himself as an example and he used the word spectacle. Remember the Greek word was thetron, where we get the word theater to show or to exhibit. And so Paul's life was on full display. And he says, we're going to be fools for your sake. I mean, he's putting it out there. And you think about the leaders that we follow, how many of them, I mean, again, in, in our world today, especially in the Western church, it's hard even just befriending your church leaders, just getting to know them. So if you even have this discussion about whether or not your church leaders, whoever they may be, your spiritual advisors, if in fact they're even advising you, and I'm not saying just from the pulpit, to be an advisor goes way more than just in a corporate setting. There has to be a personal bond. There has to be a commitment. There has to be trust. There has to be unity in cooperation, in vulnerability. So when Paul is saying we are fools for Christ's sake, we held you guys in honor and we went through so much tragedy, he's talking about in verses 11 through 12, for the sake of the gospel, because of his love for them. That, my friends, will eliminate division. When you are actually following a leader who's abiding in Christ, who's putting your needs above their own because if you think about division oftentimes the divisions there is because people are not considering the needs of people around them they are trying to advance in a, a particular agenda so it may not be personal felt needs per se maybe not me but that is behind the scenes the driving force inevitably so now what we're going to be talking about as we continue to uh, address the cure for division in the church, the first part that we saw is that you have to lay down your life. Paul was an example. 
we need to be an example of putting the needs of other people above our own. And that's going to require now in our second part, humility. So that's where we pick things up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So right off the bat, remember, even though there's division and there's sin in the camp, we're going to be exploring that more as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. But Paul is reminding them, I'm not wanting to put you guys to shame or I don't want you to feel ashamed. I, I, I want to admonish you because you're you're my beloved children. And, and he's showing them the sacrifice and heartfelt wishes that he had for them. And that's a true sign of somebody who is a humble leader. Then he goes on to say, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of God. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And in the final verse here, as we close out this chapter, Paul writes, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So as I said before, Paul right off the bat here in verses 14 through 21 is saying, my friends, there needs to be humility. Now, Paul was deeply concerned for the well-being of the Corinthians. Now, when you have that type of concern, things will change. It will be it will bring out a more healthy relationship. But when you have people who attack you and they think what they're doing is credible, right? And they can trash you and they can say all kinds of things about how you are this and you're not following the word of God and you're, you're a hypocrite and you're prideful and you're arrogant. You're this, 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 and this. And even if they do a tagline, well, I'm a Christian and I'm called to rebuke you because I'm your elder or whatever. That's division. Now, to avoid causing more division, don't feed into it, okay? You pray for that person. You could rebuke that person, okay? And wish them well, that they'd repent. But we're not going to play the Holy Spirit in that person's life. Or we're not going to get in a place that Paul certainly was not doing here where we care more about our reputation and how dare you, right, kind of attitude, talk to me that way and go and blast that individual. No, we come seeking out people's well-being and to build a loving relationship. But let me tell you something. Do you think all the Corinthians responded well to Paul even after a second letter? No. So that's the point with Jesus, with Paul, they didn't win everybody over. That's not the point of the game. Now, one of the things that's important though, in, in order for us to bring a cure for division is we have to understand that there, that, that the Corinthians, like the Corinthians did. And even today, there are a lot of teachers out there. There are a lot of tutors. We would say in our culture today, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of clickbait. And so it can get confusing 
as to who's telling the truth and who really cares. Like who can we really trust? Who's really guiding us? Who's really teaching us the truth? Now, there were a lot of voices even back then. And Paul was aiming to, to not just be a teacher to the Corinthians. What set him apart? He wanted to be a father. He wanted to be a father who loved and instructed his children in the ways of the gospel. For it was Paul who led the Corinthians to Christ. And it didn't just stop there. He was a shepherd. Paul was a shepherd to the people in the church. I'm reminded of when you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4, through 4, where Peter writes these exhortations to the elders of the church. Listen closely, my friends. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under a compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but catch this, and we know this verse, but he gives grace to the humble. So when you and I put things in perspective here, you, you, we all have countless people. Like when I think of even when I work out, there are countless people that I, I turn to uh, in the industry of health and physical therapy and bodybuilding uh, and uh, cardio training, whatever the case may be. Um, and a lot of them are good. But there are going to be those that you're going to be more drawn to and perhaps it's because they're just more engaging. They're more friendly. There's one in particular who's been doing uh, you know, mental health and physical health for a long time. And he just is an older gentleman, well-regarded, well-respected. And so because of that, the approach isn't just somebody who's teaching you content as an expert. He's instructing as a father would a child. Now, more importantly, when it comes to the Christian context here, when you have a, sh a shepherd who's who's guiding and, and leading and instructing and exhorting the flock, man, that is a huge difference. So when we're following leaders who are like that, according to scripture, the way they're supposed to lead, the way they're supposed to act, they teach us humility. And when you and I as holy saints are living a life of humility, then as Paul says in verse 16, I urge you then be imitators of me. That's not a prideful statement. I'm urging, meaning I'm commanding you. This is, a, this, 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 is a, this is an absolute. This isn't a suggestion. He's saying, if you guys are going to get out of these dire straits, if you guys are going to walk with the Lord, if you guys are going to make it, if you're going to stand strong, you need to follow me. Paul was acting as a model. So listen, my friends. As he was being an example, as we saw above in verses 6 through 13, now what Paul's saying is he said, follow that example. Don't dismiss it. You know, I, I wish I could take back, even as I recall losing my mom at 15, um, 
it's hard now over 30 years with her being gone, trying to remember what kind of an example, like her voice and her temperament and her patterns. But there are some that stick with me. And obviously had I known that I was going, I was going to only have her for a limited time. I think that I would have imitated or been around her a lot more. And, you know, as the saying goes, you imitate those who you're, you're around the most. You begin to sound like them and act like them. Well, the great thing with Paul was he was not just a person who was instructing them. He was a model. He was a true disciple of Christ. He was saying, this is what a Christian looks like. And not only that, but Paul was also someone who had the Corinthians' best interest at heart. And doesn't that really set the tone? I remember speaking with a well-regarded, well-respected pastor. And I felt the need to let him know that I have his best interests at heart. Not what the committee was saying, not what the public was saying, but as a friend to a friend privately, I have his best interests at heart. That there's no agenda but to help him. And that sets the tone. And so that's why when he says, I send Timothy, my beloved and faithful child. So not only was he instructing them, he was also a model to them. And then he sends Timothy. So what Paul had tasked Timothy to do was he, he wanted him to deliver the Corinthian letter. Because if you go at the end of the letter in chapter 16, verses 10 through 11, Paul writes there, he says, when Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So this is what's amazing is that he cared so much to where he wanted to make sure that they had access to Timothy, who he invested in, because he knew that Timothy was going to be the next generation. And then he says here in verse 18, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Now, you, under, you wonder, what, what was happening here? Well, despite the opposition that he was going through, there were, there were a lot of people who were saying lies about whether or not Paul cared enough. And if they said, well, he's sending Timothy, he's not, he's not coming himself because he doesn't care. You see how easily Satan can use that kind of twisting? Yeah, Paul couldn't make it, but Paul couldn't make it not because he didn't care or didn't, didn't, didn't care to, you know, to be with him. It's just he was not able to. And at the same time, he was actually sending them a gift rather than Timothy going back to be with Paul who he, re, he, he needed. And repeatedly we see in his letters, his son of the son of the faith, his beloved, as he mentions him here in verse 17, and a faithful child. So remember, Paul was just saying you guys have had many guides. You guys have had many inst instructors, but, but not fathers who loved and instructed his children. So what Paul's going to do in sending Timothy is now Timothy's going to demonstrate to them the kind of love relationship that Paul and him have in Christ as a father-son. A beautiful relationship. And then Paul can then, as he sends Timothy, see and hear as Timothy comes back to report how God used Timothy. So when you go back to chapter 16 here in this letter in verses 10 through 11, 
And he says, for he is doing the work of God as I am. He says, so let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I'm expecting him with the brothers. So treat him with respect. He can benefit you guys. He can help you guys. Now, some are arrogant. He says here, as though I were not coming to you. So some people, are gonna, they're going to lie to you. Timothy's not going to lie to you. See, doesn't that just set the tone when you can actually trust people that they, they are a man or a woman of their word? Then he says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 3, and this is important because remember, we, we know that Paul at this point already in his ministry had endured the treacherous terrain. Just him traveling about took months on end and took a toll on his body and his soul. But he was determined to return to Corinth. And so when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that we'll get there in the next few weeks, Paul alludes to the false teachers that were attempting to undermine his authority. And that was a concern. A good doctor is going to be concerned with a wrong diagnosis. So they not only care for their patient, but they care for the practice. They care for the honesty and the credibility not that not you know you know not just the hippocratic oath but they care about what it means to preserve and save life and people are flipping about it right and don't care put people in jeopardy and so paul he was saying here in 1 Corinthians 9 that we're going to see that no, despite all that he's gone through he says am i not free am i am i not an apostle have i not seen jesus our lord are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So this is Paul. Now remember, the book of Acts does, does imply that Paul did return to Corinth after his abrupt departure when he went from Ephesus sometime during his third missionary journey. So we know that he did return. He said, remember, because here he's saying, if the Lord wills. So that obviously hadn't happened yet. But we know when you study the book of Acts that he does return in his third missionary journey at some point to visit, to revisit the people in Corinth after his second letter. So that's important to know. And this is important because as people says, he doesn't care, he'll, he, he's not here. He sent Timothy. He sent them a letter. He sent them a second letter. And then he returns again despite the persecution, despite the treacherous terrain, that's how much it meant to him. And I look in the context today, my friends, and I see, and I, I'm even putting myself in this category at times, when there have been people who needed something and they're looking to their spiritual leaders for guidance. And, you know, it's like, I just don't have time for that. And in, in, in all due respect, they're, they're, that's true, but I do believe when I look back that I was wrong and I felt like I was safeguarding my time or something, but in reality, it was just an inconvenience to me. And I've had that happen to me in my life. I'm sure you have had that in your life. And rather than get bitter about it, we can say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? 
because there's a lot of naysayers out there. There's a lot of arrogant people out there who believe they have power. But notice in verse 20, he says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And you know, this, this really goes with the saying, right? And, and, and the truth of what Paul is conveying here is when someone's all talk. And you know, as I've gotten older, I've actually applied that so much in my life because people can easily say, I love you. And then they, you, they, then they attack you. I'm like, okay, your actions, as we would say, right? Speak louder than your words. Now we know by our words will be justified and also by our words will be condemned. And what proceeds from the mouth comes from the heart. So that's a true test, but, but also to see if they follow up, if they're not just all talk, but they're, they're, they're people of action. They actually use their feet instead of just running their mouth. So what Paul's doing here now is he's saying, listen, I want to tell you guys about what the, where the true power comes from. I want to tell you guys that the true power that forgives and that reconciles us to God comes through Jesus Christ. That's the true power. Now, Paul writes about the kingdom of God. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, he says in the book of Romans, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what Paul's conveying is the inward reign, the inward reign of Christ in our lives. See, a lot of times people are all talk or they personify their presence and their ability and they articulate it through PhDs, uh, through certain platforms and through certain successes and likes and and subscribers and views and all that kind of stuff. No, the Christian faith is is not lived out like that. God doesn't measure the success, the expansion that way. The Christian faith is to be lived out in strict obedience to the Lord's will. That's what matters. So you could be all talk. You could, you, you know, like a lot of times when people, they criticize the way that people share their faith. And that simple question you ask them is, do you share your faith? Are you as motivated as that individual? So it's not merely shallow, emotive experience that carries really no conviction that, that wins the day. There's no power in that. So people could be all talk. They can criticize Christianity. They can uh, do puns. They can put down. They could go around with their finger and criticizing and rebuking people and saying you need to do better and you need to do this and that's not really Christianity. That doesn't do anything. And I've had that in my life, my friends. I've had that in my life. I've had people put me down and criticize me. And you know what? In some areas, they were right. There were signs of immaturity that I did, but the way they went about it, or when people say, hey man, you know, I'm here for you, and then they're not. The kingdom of God is not consistent talk, but it's in power. So when you see division evaporate, when you see forgiveness, when you see reconciliation, now it takes two. It takes two. But Paul's conveying the inward reign of Christ in our lives. And that's what we demonstrate, not this shallow, emotive experience. 
but we carry that conviction that's grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. We live it out. And that's why in the end, Paul says, what do you wish? You know, like if you're not going to heed this warning, shall I come with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You know, I just was thinking about this too, is where, you know, I look at my life, even in ministry all these years, and you have a lot of naysayers or you have people who, uh, they just come with a rod. And let me just say, and maybe perhaps somebody is listening and they're in that space right now. Maybe you're going around with a rod and you're not coming in a spirit of gentleness. You're all talk. There's no power in what you're doing because you're solely relying on anger or revengefulness or spirit of rejection, whatever the case may be. And that is not through the power of God's kingdom. You're not activating that. You're not advancing that. The rod here, Rodpados, is Paul's mentioning a thin stick that, yes, was used to discipline children. And he and we know that as an apostle, he was actually beaten by rods far more than just a thin stick as a grown man and stoned to death. But what Paul was saying was like, you know that you don't want me to come that way. That That would not be appropriate. And we know this. There's a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who are spiritual abusers. They would know that the rod does not bring out respect. But a spirit of gentleness does. Paul came with a gentle spirit and he did so because he wanted to help correct the Corinthians and their sin. And so when he jumps into, you know, to, to the next part where we'll see in chapter five, what he then does and this is laying the groundwork that we've been seeing in the last few chapters. He's going to address a specific sin, an ancestral relationship that they were actually either overlooking or they were arrogant about it, not thinking it was a big deal. And he's going to call them out and he's going to call out the church. And he's going to, he's going to command as an, as an authority as an apostle of Christ, the need for them to take immediate action on those undermining the holiness and the unity of God's people. So that's the next thing we're going to be talking about to eliminate division. The cure for division is also taking immediate action so it doesn't spread. And so as I close, my friends, I want to leave you guys with just a couple thoughts that, to help you really consider this during your week. Wherever you're at, however you listen to this podcast, I want to thank you guys for being faithful listeners and standing strong in God's word because that is the problem that we're having with Christians. And we're seeing a lot of division because people are not in the word and they're coming with a rod instead of a spirit of gentleness. And as I said, I've had that in my life and I've even approached it that way. Just recently I had somebody attack me and it's sad that they come with that kind of a rod, that kind of a, a language and uh, very belittling and I pray for those, those kind of people. You know, as a public figure, you're going to get those type of thing. But I have a good conscience and sincere faith before the Lord and a pure heart. And you pray for that person. And hopefully, as time goes on, that you just, you have a spirit of gentleness, but also, you know, a spirit of correction where you're wanting the best for people in the Lord. It's about the Lord. It's not about ourselves. But we just put the Lord's name on it as though it's, Thus saith the Lord, and that's that's false because we're coming in a in an office of specialty or giving a prophetic word or saying that our affirmation is you know as bona fide 
as a bona fide stamp of approval by God when in fact it doesn't. So we can't justify living a life that is displeasing to the Lord when we're not honoring Him, when we're only pursuing our own ambitions. That causes division. So in your life right now, my friends, if there are ambitions you're pursuing, they're not honoring to the Lord, you need to ask for forgiveness. If there is division in your church because of false doctrine, uh, because of um, bitterness, because of gossip, you need to put an end to that. And we need to make sure that we are above reproach, that we, like Paul, are being imitators, that we're living a life of humility, that we're not just talking, but we're acting on it. So I hope that is a blessing to you guys. Now let me just remind you guys, as you're listening to this, Hijacking Jesus, my new book with Salem Books, uh, How Progressive Christianity is Remaking Him and Taking Over the Church is out and it's available for purchase. And I encourage you guys, if you guys are faithful listeners and you love growing in God's word, but you also want to know more about the, the foundational doctrines of the person of Jesus Christ, I encourage you guys to get the copy of my book, Hijacking Jesus. And I just want to share this little part as I close. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked each one of us that question. And there are a lot of wrong answers out there. By exposing the phony Christ meddled by progressives, Hijacked Jesus, the book, shows why the Jesus of the Bible is the one to trust. The first generation of Christians was careful to preserve what the apostles taught about their master, collecting their inspired accounts in the New Testament. In particular, they wanted us to know that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was divine and human, true God and true man. He worked astonishing miracles. He died to atone for our sins. He rose from the dead and he will come again. Progressive teachers and churches now offer a version of Jesus that emphasizes friendliness, liberation, acceptance, inclusivity, tolerance, a version that many Christians are falling for. They don't realize that they've been sold a fairy tale that is historically and biblically indefensible. So I encourage you guys out there to do me a favor, to join with us as we launch this new book, Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over the Church. And I would encourage you guys and be a tremendous blessing. I know to me as well as to you is if you get a copy, leave us a review on Amazon. Tell us what the book has meant to you and share it. Please do that. Share it with your friends. You can go to standstrongministries.org and you can click on where we have all of our resources and you'll see uh, the books there. If you want to access the Hijacking Jesus book with all the other books that are available and put it out there. Let people know. I'm so excited about this book. It's endorsed by Elisa Childers, Frank Turek, Billy Hallowell, uh, Lucas Miles, and so, so many other people that have been a tremendous blessing and example to me. And I say this in, in the... And the dedication for those faithful worshipers of Jesus who confess him as the King of King in the Lord of Lords, according to Revelation 19, 16. 
So I wrote this for you, my dear friends, as we study God's word together, that we are able to defend the historic Orthodox Christian faith. And so I encourage you guys to get your copy. So until next time, keep standing strong in the word of God. Thank you.